Hello, everybody. Welcome to the JGF podcast. Today, we have Virendra Kumar Hindocha, otherwise known as my dad, on the podcast. Hi, Dad. Hi. How are you doing? Fine, fine. Everything cool. Good. Um, so, Dad, thanks for coming. So, again, the objective here is to talk about you, your past, explore and unpack your history so that we can all get a better appreciation of our heritage in this family. So yeah, take sure. us all back to the middle of September in 1954 uh, when you were first brought into this world and talk to us about what your childhood was like growing up. Okay, so basically the, um, I was born in Nakuru in uh, Kenya uh, when Baba was traveling from uh, India on the way to Mewani. Uh, uh, so I was born on the way after I think the Jatra in India. Uh, and uh, in Akura I was born. And most of the childhood spent in, uh, in a small uh, sugar manufacturing village in Mewani. Uh, other than two years spent in India, uh, when we were very young, me and Baku went there. Uh, when there was Congo crisis and Bapuji sent me, Babaku and all the children to India uh, just to see how it was all happening politically in Kenya. So uh, in, in Milani, our childhood was amazing. Uh, just behind our house, uh, we had a huge mountain ridge called Nandi Hills uh, with rivers flowing down. Um, Bakul and I and a team of boys regularly climbed these mountains uh, and walked up the rivers, jumping from rock to rock. Uh, we even built a, a tree house uh, after watching Tarzan movie. Uh, and once while roasting uh, Makai corn, uh, the tree house caught fire and we all jumped out for our life. So you can imagine it was just amazing life we had. We, me and Bokul um, were very naughty. <laughs> yeah, well many of the stories that we've heard growing up are of you guys all terrorizing the village that you lived in. Tell yeah, us some stories so, about the pranks that you would play on the local villages. Yeah, so um, once with uh, Nain and Nilesh, uh, when they came around for holiday, we were getting bored. Uh, so we got our a driver to take us around in the car and we visited all the houses in the village uh, and we shut all their doors from the front and locked them up so none of them could come out and we went throughout the village and everybody trying to come out thought it was some thieves doing some um, work there so they all sounded alarm and uh, we really got uh, told off for that uh, so that was quite uh, a crazy moment and uh, the whole village, uh, <laughs> we got shamed in front of the whole village. That was just crazy. What does shaming look uh, like? And I is, sorry? Uh, what, when you say you got shamed in front of the village, what do you mean? So the next day there was a, normally in the village we had this once a week cinema showing. So the whole village used to get together in uh, a hall called Chok, we used to get together and uh, so we, the whole village gets together including all the workers and everybody and everybody sees one movie a week in there and uh, 
So before the movie started, <laughs> we had to apologize <laughs> to the whole village. So you're talking about at least uh, 500 people there sitting. And so that was quite uh, shameful. Bakul and I also used to um, get car keys from under the pillow while Bapuji came home uh, for lunch nap. And I used to drive around the car. This is when I was age 12. Uh, around the circle, come back, park it up. Uh, and but one day I was involved in an accident and uh, injured a kid who ran across. It wasn't my fault. But uh, I, re I really got beating from Bapuji for that and told off after they never kept the key under the pillow. <laughs> how, so how old were you when you first started joyriding around the town? I think it must have been 11, 12, yeah. Just, 11 or 12. Just, just reaching the pedals, yeah. <laughs> I'd like you to reflect for a moment on what you allowed me and Komar to do when we were 11 or 12, and we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, so we used to play lots of games as well in, as kids. So uh, games like Nagel, which is a, a seven stone with a ball game, which all the boys used to play. Gilidanda, uh, Banta, which is played with uh, small uh, balls. Bedding cars we used to make and ride them around, like go-karts. Uh, kite flying, so we used to make our own kites and fly them. I regularly played badminton there. Uh, there was a badminton swimming. Uh, we used to go, it was a little self-taught. We were lucky that Magan Kaka's house had a swimming pool and we were allowed to use it. Uh, Ambapipri, which you know, climbing trees and going up. Uh, we were also lucky to have a dog called Shekhar um, and he used to come with us for all the adventures. Um, overall, Bai and Bapuji were strict, uh, but gave us a lot of freedom too. Hmm. Amazing. Sounds like an incredible childhood where you got to do lots and lots of different types of physical activity. Was, was everyone kind of adventurous and kind of crafty so you talk about you know making cars making kites all the stuff about climbing trees we played um some of those games with you before was that just the way that things were or was that specific to you and buckle kaka or, or what, what was that like no so at that time we didn't have a lot of uh, like your computer games <laughs> and things like that so most of the games were uh, uh, i think taken from india india kids used to play all these games, so they got uh, imported to Mewani. Like, also we played volleyball and things like that. Mm. But a lot of these things were uh, sort of done in India, and most of the kids our age used to play around using this sort of uh, game, Gilly Danda, they're very common, Nagel, very, very common. One of, the, one of the stories that we've heard a lot about before growing up was the story about you and Bokokaka being at home, maybe with Shaka as well, when um, you had an intruder and you sort of played home alone. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Would you so be able to when, tell us that story? Yeah, so when Bai and Bapu used to go to programs, um, they used to lock me and Bakul in the, in the house just to watch black and white TV in the house. Um, they made sure the doors in the front were locked and the back as well. 
but while me and Buckle were watching TV, we had really loud bangs from behind our house. As I said, the house was just behind the mountain, um, or the big mountain behind our house. And so just a forest there. And uh, we knew somebody was trying to break in. Um, so me and Buckle were scared. So initially, we thought they had already come into the house. So we actually hid behind the settees, uh, made the TV really loud to in case they heard and they would get scared off. <laughs> After a little while, we, they were still banging away. So we thought, oh, they're not in yet. So we rushed to our room, which was on the other side. And uh, we put desks and things uh, against the door. Uh, opened the side windows and started whistling. And I think Sekhar was outside uh, with Ascari. And uh, he came running, barking. After a little while, uh, other Ascaris around the village came. And uh, when we had a look at the back, these guys were already nearly entering our house. So that was quite, quite a scary moment. <laughs> Incredible. Um, how would you... How do you remember your childhood in Milwaukee? So maybe tell us about the sugar mill and the kind of community and your standing, like Bapuji and, and your standing in that community. So Bapuji was very well respected. Uh, he was uh, in charge of finance there. Uh, so Bapuji, very well respected throughout the, the village. Uh, and Bapuji also related to Magan Kaka, the owners of the factory. Uh, so Bapuji and Bapuji supervised the whole of finance department there. Um, the sugar factory employed maybe about four or five thousand people working in the factory, sugarcane plantations and everything. So the whole village was uh, built like that. Um, and very close, people knew everybody. Um, and all the, you would know all the families in Mewani uh, because we used to meet once a week uh, in the cinema hall. There'd be weddings when the whole village is invited to. So it was a very, very close community. Uh, and it, the Mewani was split into three sections. One was a lower section, middle and upper section. Upper section was uh, near the mountain and then the middle section and one was lower after the factory. So our house was on the upper section near the mountain area. So originally, we were staying in the lower section. Uh, then they developed the upper section and we moved up there. So it was quite, uh, quite an interesting place to live in. Uh, hmm. and Very, very busy place. All mud roads, mud fields, and car used to get stuck everywhere if there's rain. Uh, and you just walk around uh, out in the evening and you just go into sugarcane plantation, take a run sugarcane out and you just chew it up, uh, sitting around chatting to your friends. Uh, it, it was, you know, it was like that. So it was just amazing. And we had so much freedom and there was no things like danger that our parents were afraid of that, you know, we were put at any risk. So we were allowed to roam as we wanted to. So long as we turned up in the evening back. Yeah, my my image of your childhood is that you got to ride around like princes of the town because of um, the sugar factory and obviously uh, Bapuji and Magandaka and their standing. Um, one story, just when we went to visit uh, Kisumu and uh, see the factory, and this must have been 
23 years ago. So timestamp for people with speaking in the middle of July, 2020. Um, so about 23 years ago, I think we went when I, when I was around 10. And I vividly remember, because we went to visit the house and it was incredible. Yeah. They'd almost kept the house, not quite a shrine, it's probably too strong, but they kept, they preserved so much, like your birthdays, all of your kids' birthdays were still on the calendar. They had Shekhar's yeah. kennel. I vividly remember, like, even some of the chalk drawing that you and Parthada maybe had done on the chalkboard. Buckle, me and Buckle had done, yeah. Was still there. And that must have, I mean, I'm trying to do the math now, but that must have been at least 30 or 40 years after you'd left. Correct. Yeah, um, correct. But one of the most amazing things, I think, that, and I, again, I was fairly young, so I'm not sure if I remember this entirely, but we were walking down the street and uh, this this guy sort of crosses the road and kind of comes towards us. And he's clearly a local and he's like, I think we, we sort of get a little bit concerned, but he says, are you, are you Takashi's son? Are you Takashi's son? And you're like, yeah. yeah. And he's like, oh my God, your dad was like amazing. And like, we love your family. And like, it's never been the same since you guys left. And I, got, I was just blown away. Like I'd heard some stories about what it, you know, some of the mischief that you guys got up to. I heard Bapuji talk about what it was like at the factory um, mm. and some of his stories about, um, you know, lending cars to the, to the president or prime minister and, and things, things of that nature. But I never really appreciated how much impact he must have had on the local community. I think it was quite an emotional moment for you as well when people 40 years later kind of remembered the impact that Bapuji had had and that you must have been, you know, his son. Um, coming yeah, yeah. Bob, was very good at uh, educating local people, including the local Africans there. So he used to send them to schools and uh, helping everybody. So yeah, he was very well known. So he did he did good there. <laughs> Incredible. Very well respected by everybody. Um, Dad, you mentioned the Congo crisis and spending two years in <clears throat> India before we. Yeah. Before we talk about the transition to the UK, do you want to talk about what the Congo crisis was and what the two years in India were like? So the Congo crisis, from what I remember, was that uh, the locals in Congo were just looting and uh, killing people, uh, you know, Asians and Europeans. So then uh, there was a big, big exodus from Congo at that time. So then everybody in Kenya also got scared, saying, oh, this could happen to in Kenya. So let's send all the um, children and women away back to India. So me, um, Bakul, Lata, and Ba went by ship. I think other already were Bharat, uh, Viba, Joshna, Kundan already in India. So we went by ship to India. So there was some journey. And in India, Porbandar, we stayed and got close to mamas and other cousins there and got involved in activities like kite flying and applying glass to, you know, the kite string so that you can compete and cut other people's kite and got involved in all the things that Indian kids used to get up to. Uh, so yeah, it, it was, and again, I joined the school there called Rupadiba. So again, you know, it, it's, the school is still there. I went and saw it. <laughs> this Amazing. <year. laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um, 
So t- talk about leaving, or maybe coming to the UK, leaving Kenya and coming to the UK. Like, what? How old were you then, and and what was that like, and what was the situation surrounding the family at that time? Yes. So basically, after all levels, um, then we're deciding to come to UK. Uh, um, so basically, education-wise, uh, initially I was until age 12, 13, I was just too much into fun and games and everything. Um, it was only when I got bed marks at standard seven that I realized that you have to work hard to, <laughs> to progress. So then uh, joined school in Kisumu, Kisumu Boys High School, and did my O levels there, so up to age 16, 17. Uh, so I got my first class uh, O levels there, division one. Um, staying in Lohana boarding school in Kisumu. So, you know, for two years, it was very tough and very, very strict boarding school. Uh, in the boarding school, we're not allowed any food because children used to come from different um, uh, background and uh, where they could not afford good food to bring in or nasto or kepla or whatever. So the boarding people decided no, no children should bring any food in. Only they should only eat what is being served there, and the food was really lousy there. So we did smuggle a few things in into the building, and there would be regular regular inspections uh, in the in the building, and uh, we would tie the food with the string, and uh, before the inspection, throw it out of the window, hanging outside the building. So they would search under the bed, everywhere, all your, you didn't have a lot of possessions, but they would search everywhere and that finally would go away. So we managed to get away, hiding the, the food like that. So moved to London, um, age 18. And uh, well, at that time, the, either you had a choice to do A-levels in Kenya or to come to London to do A-levels. So, we decided that I would want to do it in London because Bharat was already here. All of those jobs are already here, so that it will be better to do A-levels in uh, UK. So, moved to UK and um, stayed with Bharat, Joshna and Balabdas. Um, we were in a two-bed flat in Finchley, uh, Copeland Avenue. Very, very small flat. Uh, with just for heating, you only had bar heaters and damp walls. Um, winters were really, really, really tough. Um, and we had to use library to study um, as there was no facility in the flat. Uh, I took part-time jobs in um, various places like uh, pharmacy, post office, in the sorting area, car cleaning, garages, etc., etc. So many places I did part-time work. What was that the extra money? Sorry, Dad. What was that like for you? Like coming from again, sort of again in my mind anyway, being like a princeling in this town in Kenya where you know you can effectively have fun and games, you not really have to worry about education, you don't really have to worry about like money or you know, you've got all this space and you've got a mountain and a forest in your backyard to coming to England, which is a different climate different place, two bed flat, which you're sharing with, you know, three or four other people at the time. 
and having to work part-time jobs like how do you how do you cope with that change or what do you remember kind of what you were thinking as as you were having to deal with with all of that yeah initially the dream is always that uk was just some, london was just amazing place because when you see the photos and everything but when you actually live it at that time uh it was uh, it was a learning experience and uh but i suppose we had to put up with it and uh because when you looked around all the other people were in the similar sort of boat nobody had central heating double glazing never existed only in a few houses everything was cold people didn't have uh, sort of inside toilets and bathrooms mainly outside stomas is didn't have any bathroom so they used to go to the local baths they used to even i have been to local baths for a tub bath because we didn't have that in our house so once a week we used to go there oh really i don't provide shit everything and then going to laundry laundret and drying the clothes there washing it so it was quite something different a lot of things to learn going shopping um going in the underground trains and all that so it was quite a, quite a big shock to the system when you first land into uk we thought we had come to land of paradise but really it wasn't <laughs> did you did you not did you not wonder why bartha hadn't told you about the reality of the situation no do, do you ever think about that or do you ever want to go back to kenya and say like why would i trade trading my life or you know again like was it more of a long term view that you knew there was more of a future for you in the UK i think the main reason we came was to study and then the plan was that we probably would go back to kenya uh, so the whole thing was to get the education in in uk which was regarded as a very high at the throughout the world and so uh, it was good to study in uk and then go back to wherever you want to go in africa or india or wherever the plan was never to initially was never to settle in uk is to, to to go back basically after studies mm. interesting sorry you so you were saying so we, you're in um you're in the flat it's 18 you're doing all these odd jobs yeah um, then i started by with the extra money that i used to earn i used to buy a lot of records i used to buy at least one lp or ep a week basically from the charts i used to follow all the english music and also used to love hindi music so i used to buy some hindi records uh also spend money on car lessons etc etc so i think i was the first one to get the uh, the license to drive car in uk from our family i think amazing then oh, i didn't know that that's a good fact yeah um so just backing up a step on music um if i ask anybody and i've asked people you know what they think of when what words come to mind when they think of you your taste in music and your music collection is pretty formidable and extremely wide ranging where did that come from because um to be fair most of your siblings um have have kind of lots you know very wide ranging taste in in music but for you especially it seemed to really kind of take hold what why why do you think that was i don't know i just used to listen to a lot of music even back in kenya africa i had a tape recorder i used to do recording 
So right from young age, I had uh, interest in music. So I used to get records from different people and make cassettes from that and make my own music. Even at young age, I used to do that. So I used to borrow from different families, their LPs, and then put it on and then record it in my cassette. I used to play that. So yeah, from young age, I had interest in both English and uh, in the music. So do you still have those cassettes? Uh, no, I think they left in. I've got some cassettes that were recorded long time ago uh, when I was coming to UK at that time. So I might have some recording because I used to do voice recording of people by and everybody. I used to go around with uh, and then record everybody. So I also recorded Viva and Bharat's fight as well on it. And of course, I think I need to find those cassettes. I think those would be awesome That'd to listen to. We could use it as um, the intro music for the podcast, actually, if we can find it. Okay. Okay. I'll try and find it. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, so um, maybe tell us about college and the choice between, because I guess I wonder whether you ever seriously considered like a career in music or pursuing music as more than a, a hobby or a passion. Um, so when I... Um... Uh, was when I came and then I had to apply for air levels. I I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I either wanted to do uh, medicine, dentistry, or accountancy. So because Wapuji always say the key professions are those, you know, including law and all that. So you were driven by the family or father to look at the main subject that. So when I came, I registered um, in Barnet College to do science subjects and um, to do medicine or dentistry and then economic subjects uh, in Kilburn Polytechnic to do accountancy. Until the last day of um, uh, the day the college were opening, they were opening on the same day and I couldn't decide what which one to take. So after discussing with everybody, I still couldn't decide. So then I said, okay, I'll take the bus that goes to the direction uh, and jump into that. So it was the Kilburn Polytechnic bus that came. <laughs> so accountancy it was. Just, so it, was, it was that close, basically. A fateful bus journey. Do you ever, do you ever yeah. wonder how different your life would be if you'd ended up at medical college or dentistry college? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, you do wonder how life would have been like. And I become a dentist or a doctor. <laughs> but uh, even after doing um, arts uh, A-level, because I got good grades, I did them in one year. I did economics, accounts, and law. All new subjects, I did them in one year. So Amazing. like two A's and a B in that. And so even then, um, I had offers from dentistry college, uh, but with a conversion um, year because if I was interested, I still wanted to see if I could do it. And they offered me to do it, but then I decided uh, the accountancy was a much faster route. And also while you are um, studying, you're also making some money. So that helped with the finances because Bapuji was supporting so many people on a salary. Uh, so it, it, the accountancy was a useful uh, where to get in. So while you work and study, you also make some money. Whereas medicine would have cost a lot of money. 
So, what? Um, so maybe what was Bapaji doing at the time, and what was the situation with, like where you were staying and the family and everything like that? So Bapuji was um, still in Mewani. Uh, so he was like the final director there. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically on a salary. So basically you would be sending some money across uh, to UK to finance any deficit we had. Bert was here working. He was also uh, studying here. Um, and all of those Joshna were here. All, all working basically. And I was doing part-time work, or whenever I could work, doing summer or whatever. Maybe. So yeah, the money wasn't uh, freely available in UK. It was tight, so we had to think of all the things to, to make sure we chose the professions wisely. Yeah. So basically, you know, after. Doing A levels and etc. etc. Did my foundation course at um, in in um, Oxford Street area, uh, and after foundation, we had to look for um, articles in accountancy because the only way you can do chartered accountancy was to get five years articles with a firm. So there was a lot of discrimination at that time. And uh, to get articles, it was really hard. So I had to do something like thousand applications to what? various firms. Yeah, thousand. And then I got five interviews. <laughs> and uh, out of that, I got uh, admitted to Granger Bone & Co. on Regent Street for five years article there. So I qualified with them. And uh, so the Granger Bone, it's a tremendous location. Just open is Hamleys on Regent Street, so the location was really, really good, and a lot of my friends were around city area, and so we used to meet for lunch, etc., etc. So we used to get these luncheon vouchers, fifteen p luncheon voucher, for which you could get some good food. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So after after qualifying, I joined Unstan um, Winnie Unstan Young now for three years, so then I was an audit manager there. And then I found out that from one of the other managers who've been there for a long time, that questions, there's no chance of any progression after audit manager uh, because of whatever, discrimination, whatever. So then the manager was just hanging around and they advised me that if you want to progress, then you have to move to a smaller farm or do something else. But in the large practices, they were not allowing partners. How, how did you, just to pause for a second, how did you feel about that? Like, do you... Yeah, so I mean, but there's nothing you can do about it. You, you do feel bad that you can't progress into the practice, but you can see the prejudices there. And had you partners faced... were really, really high up. Had you faced that kind of discrimination before, like in the UK or even in Kenya? Not in Kenya, but yeah, in the UK, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we came, the discrimination was always there. Mm. You know, the, the discrimination against Asians and Blacks was, was always there in, in, in the country, which was surprising to see. Uh, but 
I suppose in some of the jobs they would not even give it to you just because you know you're brown. Yeah. So even some of the interviews they would just they might take you for interview, but then just turn you say no, no sorry. So I I suppose you to be have really good grades and good interview to get in because they don't give you the interview. Yeah. With your names, see from your name you're not English. Yeah. Uh, so then they would just not even interview. So the discrimination was very high at that time compared to, I mean, you guys are very lucky. Uh, they can see the contribution you guys can make now. At the other time, we had to prove everything because a lot of people from India or Africa working here, mainly working in factories and things like that. So that probably was the impression they had at that time. Yeah. And we were trying to study and make something of ourselves. Incredible. It, it was hard. Like you said, the, the change, the shift that's happened within a generation. Again, you know, just yeah. to add some context in terms of the time that we're, you know, at the time we're recording this, obviously there's a lot of attention on systemic racism and racial inequality um, in the yeah. aftermath of, you know, George Floyd and, and the Black Lives Matter sort of resurgence. I, so it is interesting that, you know, we have, we seemingly have come fairly far in one generation and yet there's still so much further to go. Um, but take us back. So, so you're, you're at Ernst & Young, um, you've hit a kind of glass ceiling. Your managers are telling you yeah. that if you want to progress, you should think about something else. Yeah, yeah. So then uh, um, the government had launched this internal audit department within the government section. It was a new department and they wanted an audit manager. Uh, so I thought I'll try it for one year. So I joined them and I was, you know, in the department for one year, checking all the departmental spendings and going through them. Uh, but then I found it was just a very, very big machine and you know, it was just too much, not for me, basically. So then I said, I better start my practice. And so while I was there, I took on one client. <laughs> and uh, then I said, okay, I, I think I will now, after one year, I just said, I'll leave. And uh, by the time I had a few clients. So then, um, uh, UKCC, because I was auditing them when I was working for NHS. Uh, so they said, would you like to, oh, your internet connection is unstable. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. It's come. Yeah, go so, back. Go, just, Dad, can you, sorry, just go back to, um, you left after one year because you had a few clients. Yeah. So then I decided to join UKCC, uh, nursing body, um, for three days a week. I told them I couldn't work full time, but they said that's fine because you know the system. So in three days, you'll do five days work, but come and join us for three days. And then three and a half days I spent in practice development with Bharat and Vallabhdas. Uh, by then we had started uh, Priceman and Company. Uh, initially we started in um, uh, Edgware, just opposite Edgware Hospital. We on two room, me and Bharat, and it was called Hindu Chain Company at that time. And uh, Zach 
uh, one of my staff, I employed through an agency there. I played the agency to him. He was qualified, sounded a qualified person working for me. And Bikubai also joined at that time in that office. And Bharat had a few staff, two or three staff. So only two rooms. And we started there. And then as we were growing, uh, we found this building on Canton Road, which we then bought and developed into offices, which we converted to the spec that we wanted. So we spent quite a lot of money. And then we designed it, basically. So this was all happening while I was at UKCC, working three days, three okay. and a half days here. So it was quite uh, quite hard hard working, basically, developing practice, et cetera, et cetera. So, and this was also um, at a time uh, when mom was looking after all of you, all the children. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, also helping. Uh, in so, the office, Amon took on a role of uh, typist. <laughs> maybe, maybe, the cost. maybe to pause for a minute. Um, so, ha at this point, um, you're kind of in your early 30s, right? Like, this is, um, so we've skipped yeah. a little bit far ahead in terms of, maybe we can go back afterwards to what it was like to meet mum. And your kind of YLA days, but I don't know if you, yeah. if you want to finish the kind of career. Let's finish the career arc. So, okay, so this is um, kind of the late eighties, early nineties. You're juggling yeah. three small children, the UKCC, uh, yeah. doing a five-day job in three days, and building a practice and sort of designing the the space, um, and obviously it's kind of settling into you know, family life and, and a new life. Um, again, that, that's... Yeah. So basically the way I used to work at UKCC was I used to sort of get up, go to the off, other office, Priceman first, uh, spend uh, 35 minutes there going through whatever the post or whatever is in, in, the, in the inbox. Um, and then take a train uh, straight to Oxford Circus do my job there. At lunchtime, I might go and see one or two clients because quite quite a few clients in West End. And then when I leave, then I would take you back to Canton and then might have one or two review jobs with staff there because I delocated jobs to various staff. After reviewing, then come home, have dinner, whatever, play with you guys. <laughs> and uh, so that, that that's how the, the whole thing was. It was quite uh, really, really like doing two jobs at the same time. Yeah. We had a lot of commitments because mom was looking after you guys full time. And we decided that it's best that mom look after you guys and I can focus on, on work side, basically. So that, that's that. So I left UKCC in 2002 uh, as the practice was getting um, bigger, uh, which was a good decision. And we built a very good clients uh, and I sold the practice in 2017 to Shailen, uh, Vishal's friend uh, and took semi-retirement semi at age 63. Uh, it's been a long hard journey uh, working from age 19 to 63, 44 years. Incredible, <laughs> unbelievable and um, yeah. I mean again like when I think about it would be like Christmas time 
which was always classically, you know, again, growing up, like you would be often, or, or, you know, during January in some of those earlier years, um, I vividly remember like we, you would be leaving the house like well before six, most days you'd sometimes come home yeah. after maybe one or even sometimes 2 a.m. Um, yeah. they would be like takeaway pizzas. Mum again, mum, you know, would help with some typing or something, but like us kids yeah. wouldn't really yeah. know like what on earth was kind of really going on. Like, again, we managed to have a really full like family life at the same time. I can't like looking back now, and trying to juggle two kids and one job, um, I honestly can't imagine how hard that must have been and how exhausting that must have been and to keep that up for so many years. Obviously not all of the 44 years, but a, a, probably a majority of them to keep that schedule going is is kind of incredible. Um, particularly when you think about, as you, you know, in your childhood, when you sort of said up until probably about 12 or 13, you weren't really that interested in kind of working very hard yeah. and yeah. <laughs> fun. so uh, you got your karma. Um, maybe let's go back in time a little bit and talk about um, sort of maybe 18 plus and, you know, getting into the YLA, getting your friendships with um, people in your college and obviously, you know, meeting mum or meeting, not even meeting mum, but meeting girls, I guess at the time. Um, yeah. You should know yeah. that obviously, uh We've done Mum's podcast, and so she's given her version of uh, of the truth on this. So okay. uh, it'll be interesting to see how your stories compare. So uh, basically, I was, uh, you know, after doing the A levels and foundation course, um, I was age twenty two at that time, and uh, Bapuji had said, "Come back to Kenya to tour there." I said, no. I want to go to Canada to see Olympic Games. And he said, why? I said, it just interests me, the Olympic Games. I've been reading about it. So I booked uh, my tickets to Olympic Games. And um, I was studying with Subhash Lakhani and Kirit Nanalal at that time in, uh, in the college doing foundation course. Uh, it was like after air levels, sort of like a uni sort of thing for one year. So they also decided, oh, you're going to Olympic Games. So they said, okay, we'll come too. And they decided to. So they booked the tickets as well. So I had gone one week before uh, to Canada and uh, settled in YMCA and then went to collect this to boat. Uh, and uh, then we had uh, bought one tent, which was a two-man tent uh, with three of us to sleep in. So we had tested it and... We just about sneaked in, so we thought it would be a good budget to keep. So I booked campsites and everything in Canada, in uh, Montreal, and uh, that's, what, that's what we did. So um, we had great time at Olympic camping and meeting lots and lots of people. Our budget was very low. Um, so we sold Olympic tickets. We went and queued up at uh, big stores to get Olympic tickets for gymnastics and it was very popular and uh, money there uh, by selling it in black market uh, to people coming in and we then managed to rent car and tour East Canada fully and also travel to USA. Um, so at that time we visited Rashmi Kundan, Raki, Reha, so you should have seen my, I had a big beard with uh, John Lennon type glasses. Uh, we were all very slim. Uh, very, very thin. Um, 
it was a sight to see. So <laughs> when we went to New York, uh, we went, we ran out of money. So Kirit, one of my friend, had an uncle in Empire State Building in an office. So we went there uh, and we borrowed some money off him. <laughs> so that kept us going. <laughs> uh, Bharat and Pinky had traveled to uh, Rashmi and Kunan at that time. So after New York, we went back to Rashmi and Kunan. So Bharat Pinky decided to join us as well because we had a lovely car. He said, can we join you? But they said, we're only camping if you want to. So they said, oh, we'll also buy a tent. So they, they bought a tent as well. And uh, we went to Blue Mountains up to Nashville, Tennessee. Incredible. So that, that trip was just uh, phenomenal. It was something like eight weeks to uh, traveling everywhere at this young age. So it was, uh, we met so many people from at Olympic game, different part of the world, everything. So it, it was good. So, and uh, Wiley days, yes. So again, uh, growing up in UK was a lot of fun because we were involved in Young Lion Association. Me, um, Koshik Natwani, who I was studying with uh, in, um, in A levels, and Manu Ram, uh, we were friends uh, with quite other, other people. So we're going to play some games uh, and somebody mentioned, oh, there's a AGM of wire to dissolve it at the time. So can we just pop in there? So we all went there and we heard that they were saying, oh, there's not a lot of youths of Lohana following this organization. So we just want to dissolve it and put an end to it. So we said, no, no, we'll take it over. Uh, and so they said, okay, fine. So there was an election and we all got voted into the committee <laughs> without really planning to get onto it. And then the, the team we had was just amazing. So in a short while, we had over 400 members. Wow. It was just, it was just phenomenal. So we were organizing garbas, discos, band dances, car treasure hunt. Uh, coach trips, sports days, we were very, very strong on sports. So when uh, other youths found out about us in North London, uh, all over the UK, they started forming youth organizations like oh, wow. us, like Lohana kids organizing it. And so we then formed a union with them around the UK and uh, we visited them for sports competition, cricket, garba competition, and we won a lot of trophies uh, during that time. Amazing. The YLA, the, the Young Loana's Association is still going very strong today. And yeah, so, but now it's under the umbrella of North London. Yeah. At that time, it was uh, an independent um, organization. Nothing to do with the elder Lohana. So the elder Lohana always wanted young Lohana to be under them which we refused to have because we had our own constitution and we had our own following and we had our own youths and things like that. So, and now you're an elder Lohana. And now you're an elder Lohana. So you got to capture the YLA. Yeah, capture the YLA. Yeah. So while in YLA, we also formed uh, a cricket club, which was, we joined the league of cricket and uh, it was quite a strong team we had. And I captained the, the cricket team for one year, so that was quite interesting. So okay. we were very, very active in sports, all the badminton, 
table tennis, we used to play and you know, 400 members used to meet so many people uh, and uh, discos and man dances and golf. This is like your early 20s. Um, a question, because something that, or again, always comes up when people, I think, think about you, certainly I think about you or when I've asked other people, um, words that often come up are, you know, very adventurous, um, obviously extremely hardworking and um, like organizational ability, like your ability to kind of motivate and lead and uh, like organize things. Like again, as we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, um, it's happened sort of throughout your life. What is this, do you think of this as like the moment where you formed that? So going to Canada and doing that epic road trip or, you know, thinking about the YLA and sort of saving it and then, you know, making it, kind of into this big following like where do you think you got those kind of skills from those the, that sense of adventure and those leadership skills from and and how do you think about that now so i think originally when we were young in mewani um uh, i used to lead all the boys into different adventure at that time so we used to have our own team basically all the boys and we would get together and decide and Basically, so all the organizing and the skills at that time started developing at that stage, I think. So mm. right, right from Mewani days, basically, because doing all the adventures and going around and what to do and what games to play, this, this, this. So it was quite, uh, yeah. So And then, obviously, joining YLA and trying to organize a big uh, youth organization uh, was interesting as well. So you learn a lot about organizing events, organizing things at that time. So, and by mis making mistakes, you then improve on your programs and you meet musicians and you book restaurants and you make dinners for people and things like that. So I think it, it just helps to develop those skills, basically. Mm. I think the internet connection is getting unstable, but I think it should be okay. Yeah, so basically it was, it was from, right from the Mewani age, basically. Yeah. The... Amazing. And, um, okay, so somewhere in this, because when we were talking to mum, she connected that when you first went up to see her, you'd talk about the treasure hunts and a lot of the things that you would organize yeah. for the YLA. So tell us a little bit about, um, well, firstly being introduced to other girls or girlfriends and um, what it was like. I'm sure you had more than your fair share. And, um, and what it was like, yeah, leading up to kind of that introduction uh, up in Loughborough. So basically I think the way we were brought up in Kenya, um, it was different to you guys, basically. Uh, uh, we were brought up to sort of uh, become friends with the girls, but you know, that's what that's we kept it at that level, so it was more friends. So we used to go out in groups together for coach trips and things like that. So, you know, Ankari used to play on the coach, and yes, it was you know, we, we knew so many girls, etc., or you know. So basically, uh, in, in North London, we probably knew most of 
the youth basically uh, when uh, but age 25 26 ba was getting itchy fingers and saying you got to see this mago has come you must go and see this girl it's a lovely family so i think once or twice i went but then you know i did i wasn't very keen so i just said no and um, so while i was just uh, in yla president um and we were organizing all these different different programs i think lata came one day and um said i'll send this beautiful girl in peterborough uh and because raju and gita were organizing games at uh, one of the children's party and uh, lata liked her so uh, you know and doing nursing etc etc so initially i said no no way um not ready yet i was only 26 <laughs> so she said but there's no harm in looking so i said okay okay we'll 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 try to peterborough then so we went to peterborough and uh, met with shai geeta and uh, bansi was also there at ashokmai's <laughs> house <laughs> went with ba and uh, Gita brought the teen traditional manner with shaky hands. <laughs> uh, she was shy uh, and looked pretty with dimples like Shamila Tagore. So <laughs> the sari. So uh, at the first meeting, uh, we said, let's go for a drive. So we went for a drive and then uh, get a control the direction so we got lost <laughs> so and, for the record uh, to play songs in my <laughs> for the record it was mom's fault was it uh, of course yeah she didn't know the ways in peterborough she, she lost us <laughs> that's interesting um so um so, the songs i was playing uh, at that time uh, aradna songs okay yeah so in the car thing was mere sapno ki rani kab aayegi tu it's uh, with shamila tago starring in it <laughs> it's just a coincidence <laughs> <laughs> it's fate um, so <laughs> so i think getting lost gave us more time to know each other uh, but at the house they were getting really worried when it is yeah i mean what have been going to so whatever so after the meeting i said oh yet out to meet again so we went to loughborough and uh, we had the chatterbox sona with us in the car <laughs> and because she kept on chatting all the way we missed the turning <laughs> and we ended up to a sheffield or m1 so far away we turned back once we <laughs> no set never at that time only at that uh, and then uh, basically the rest is history so we got married in 1980 i was 27 she was 21 uh, um, i asked mom whether she likes traveling because i said I'm, i would love to travel the world and see everything she said yes yeah, she would love to do that so it's been good so we've done many days together now uh, all the continents that we've covered um, we done nine major challenges also which are tough challenges so also this so we started with kilimanjaro which was amazing uh, 
and then um, we did the trek of the icy glaciers for five, day, five days in the Alps. Then we did the Tripic Challenge in UK, which uh, I think Kumar and Neha came as well. And then Everest Best Camp we did together uh, with Vishal, Divya, Neha, Kumar. That was amazing family adventure outing. Uh, we also did London to Brighton Walk, uh, which is 100 kilometers and took about almost 30 hours to walk non-stop. So that was quite a crazy one. Then with the mom and with then Chardam Yatra, which is again trekking up the three main places in India, up the mountain. So again, you walk up there. Uh, we did Amanat Yatra, which is in Kashmir, which is again very tough walking. Again, walking on glaciers and three days of really, really harsh conditions. Um, lastly, we did the Kailash Mansar over in China, which. Uh, which was just amazing, watching Kailash Mountain. and Again, freezing cold and three days of the toughest trekking you can ever do. So it was very, very cold and no showers, no bath for last eight to 10 days. So basically it was rough and tough. And obviously in between we had done the Sardinia Bike Challenge, Italy, uh, which Vishal and Vinay came and it was amazing. So I think it's been, we're lucky that We've been able to do all these challenges with the legs and arms moving. Yeah, I'm well, lucky. lucky one word. I mean, have... again, I don't know many people who have um, been able to pursue so many adventures. And uh, I guess you know, I feel lucky. I think we all feel very lucky that you've always kind of carried us that way with that sense of adventure. Um, super quick story on base camp. Um, I thought it was amazing that wherever we were, we could be on the, we're in kind of the Nepalese hills and we're in the middle of this campsite. There's literally nothing around but yaks and obviously the Himalayas and it's beautiful. And you would yeah. sort of trundle off into the sunset looking for a shower and somehow in about an hour and a half come back having sh found a shower somewhere, showered and like, you know, like yeah. Queen and, and the rest of us have been on a 15 day hike with like no washing and like, you know, nothing. Um, but you look fresh as a daisy, like every other day. So if, if you tell me that in Kailash Mansura there were no showers, I, I, I really believe you. Um, do you have any challenges left? Is there anything that you would want to do or is, is there anything that you wanted to do but um, wouldn't necessarily do now? So I think one thing we want to do is Anpurna Trail. Uh, we should be amazing to do. We want to do gorillas in Uganda or Congo. Uh, um, I think there are a few things that we want, we got it on the list we want to do, but when the time is right, I think we'll have to see if we can do it. But again, Anpurna Trail is quite tough, is as high as uh, Base Camp. So again, we have to prepare for that. So we have to do it while we are fit and we can do it. So. That, that would be lovely to do. And also we want to do the Buddha trail a little bit. Mm. So that would be nice to do, well, you know, Buddha originate from Nepal and visit his place and do that sort of thing. So yeah, a few things to do still. Um, yeah, so I've been lucky that uh, Gita and me both have got similar interest in traveling, energy to do it. And we both like nature and love to explore. So I think 
has been lucky because uh, is you know a lot of people don't have that luck. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but, but both can do it. Yeah. So just because you talked about you know Nepal and Buddha and obviously many of these pilgrimage sites, so just kind of thinking about your life and just kind of reflecting on kind of broader themes, thinking about like spirituality, how do you define like your spirituality or, or how do you think about like religion um, and those aspects of your life? No, so we've always been brought up to believe in God, yeah, right from young age. So by and by, you always installed in us that, you know, God is there, uh, Krishna, Ram, you know, we go to, and basically they say it's Sanatana Dharma, so uh, not focus on one particular God, but you can believe in to the wide sphere of gods, basically, and religion in general. But I think the principles of religion um, are the important things for me, is like being honest, helping other people, uh, doing good to other, you know, people, helping out whenever you can, uh, be kind, you know, don't grudge other people, don't be jealous. Uh, those sort of principles are more important. And I think most of the religion tell you to do it, um, if you can take it that way. So I think in my view, um, you know, there is God and oh, there is a superpower. And uh, we just have to follow the right uh, path basically you know, uh, and in general principles yeah. and in following that path are there any lessons that you feel like you've really learned along the way that would benefit other people from hearing about uh, so I think the, the lesson I would say is that um, money is not everything but you do need money to get by so you know, it's it's one of the tools, but it's not. And I think um, other lesson I think I've learned is that uh, you'll always uh, have some failures and uh, in life, or uh, something that some obstacles will come in your way in your life. And uh, I think you got to think there'll be some which will be under your control, and some which will be not under your control. So. Within your control, I think you got to focus on saying, what can I do to get out of this in the best way? Uh, whether they're not under your control, and uh, you just have to say, okay, what's the worst that can happen uh, now? And then work up from there, because then you stop worrying about, you know, oh, I wish this had happened or that had happened. So it's always good to look at the bottom and work up from there. Mm. If you're ever in a trouble, in my view, because you always, whether in office, politics, or you know, climate-wise, your sort of your house blows down, or you know, your uh, tree had buns down. <laughs> you got to think and say, what, what, what can we do? You know what. Yeah. Uh, What's the worst that can happen, uh, and then work up from there to get your best advantage. I think. So. I think, I think um, the lesson in life is that. Yeah. Sorry, go on. That finish. No, so I was just saying, 
is that you will always come across hurdles in your way. Otherwise, mm. not otherwise not life. Basically, you got to, and some will pull you down, but you got to you got to keep still and steady and steer your ship and adjust your sails uh, according to the wind. Basically, as I say. Yeah, that's that's a really beautiful way of putting it. I think um, I'd say recently, over the last few years, um, I've been reading more about um, Stoic philosophy, and it's just interesting because it comes to mind. So there's um, a, a big, a central theme of Stoic philosophy is to be able to control what you can control and focus on what you can control. Okay. I think goes to your first message, and one of the Stoic philosophers, uh, Seneca talked about um, thinking about your worst case scenario, the, the phrase he used was, is this the condition I so feared? So put yourself in the worst condition and actually your, sometimes your fear makes it much worse than that situation actually is because most situations you can resolve and work through. And that, is this the condition I so feared? I think, I mean, you, you put it in a much nicer way, I think, but I thought that's always been something that's really stuck with me for the last sort of few years in terms of focusing on what you can control. Um, so I want to ask you some fun facts. We're kind of at the end. I don't, actually, I don't know, before I do that, is there anything else that you really wanted to share in the main body before we go to the kind of quick fire round? Yeah, so basically I wanted a little bit of information on Kinara. Oh, yeah. Because I think it's uh, central to our family. Of course, yeah. So, uh, so we had, uh, in 1988, uh, 87, we'd gone on holiday uh, with uh, Vishal, Neha, Gita and me at Toromolinos and I think we left Kumar behind here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, wise so and it, it was an amazing hotel but one of the things we decided to do was to look at some properties. So we looked at quite a few properties but they were not very good or didn't like them but we looked at uh, Las Mimosas and they didn't say that's above your, uh, uh, you know, market you are in. Basically, the price is high uh, because looking for twenty or thirty thousand worth of property, this was about fifty or sixty. This is double the price. So, but if you want to have a look, it's just around the corner. So we said, yeah, take us there. So when we looked at it, we just loved it. So we just came to the family and and friends and said, look, just put five thousand each, and we got ten people, and you can buy it. <laughs> So everybody said, and I put down the, I still got the notes. I put down the advantages of it, uh, buying the property there. And I said, you know, it will be amazing. So we furnished it. Me and one of us went and bought it. And I think, uh, I think probably it's one of the best decisions we took uh, because I think it allowed all to venture out and relax and enjoy on a beach, including all the children and family. So it's, it's, I think it's benefited the whole of uh, the Jolly Good family. So I think it's oh, definitely. a good thing. Yeah. The other I, thing is, is uh, my Lions Club. Uh, I, I joined the Lions Club in the year 2000 when Lions Club was Sudbury was formed. I was 46 year at that time, new club being formed. Uh, basically, at that time, I wanted to do, get involved in some charity work. So I thought it was a good time to, to do it. Especially Bapuji was a lion in Mewani, so we knew what was involved, and he was always well dressed for these meetings with Thai and doing good work, good charity work. 
So basically to help others in need, so that was the main reason. And uh, I was president of Lions Club in year 2005, age 51. So that was quite a, Amazing. quite a good year and we raised lots and lots of money uh, in that year also. That, at that time we climbed Kilimanjaro and raised uh, 36,000 um, for various charities which benefited. So. Another charity I've been old is uh, Care Education Golf Society. So because I play golf, and uh, so while we were playing golf, we said let's help some children as well while we to study. So then this trust came along, and we become part of the trust. And uh, what what our money we raise goes to help children in education. So I was captain of Care Golf in 2008, age 54. So that was a good achievement as well. I enjoyed that. And uh, uh, yeah, so uh, playing golf is, is obviously one of my passion now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's doing some good in the world too. Um, yeah. I've got to say, so a couple of things here. One, um, you mentioned this when you talked about spirituality, about doing things for other people. I was I was going to say that I think you're you're too humble sometimes because again again the thing that comes to mind for me more than anything else um to me uh, a real role model in how to think about philanthropy and making an impact in the charity space and um i I just just saying that i was trying to work out for one of your birthdays like how much money you might have raised or contributed to raising or being part of a team raising money and I know you would never really think about it that way because it's always been a part of a larger organization, but it was, a, yeah. it was an utterly ridiculous, like sum of money. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, Divya and I, uh, it must've been 2006, we actually went to one of the care education, um, education centers in Burj and in Chennai. Yeah. And so I can kind of vouch firsthand for the utterly phenomenal work that is kind of able to take place because of, um, the charity work that you've been directly involved in. So blind, deaf, uh, disabled uh, children in the poorest parts of India are able to get high quality education and real life skills that enable them to kind of seed for a much better future um, as a school that was built directly from this. And that's what, you know, we volunteered there for a little while, but um, I thought it was, again, just incredible to see the depth of the impact that, you know, you're able to have just through that kind of consistency and compounding it over time. Um, so golf is obviously a hobby now, which you can have because your children are all grown up. One thing we skipped merrily over was um, parenthood. Um, how do you reflect on um, kind of becoming a father for the first time uh, when her comes on your kind of 30th birthday um yeah and any again any reflections as you think about parenting and any advice for all the young parents like myself um out there that may be listening <laughs> so parenting was quite uh, interesting so as you say 1984 uh, our princess neha was born really, really excited. Then Prince Vishal came in 86 and Kumar in 87. That was phenomenal. So we got really busy, especially mum. We were also looking after Bai and Bapuji at that time in terms with Bakul and Nita. Uh, It was a lot of fun times with holidays, trips, especially to Spain, Kinara. 
Gita really got busy looking after family, especially dropping you to various classes, swimming, judo, karate, Gujarati, music, etc., etc. You're doing tons of them. Uh, we had to face changing a primary school um, after Broadfield went down. We sat on red letter trap uh, with extra tuition to get you all into good schools. I remember doing maths uh, with you all in preparing for exams, especially locking up Kumar and taking him to office to do his studies there uh, and treating to sweets and ice cream after lessons. Um, We've been lucky to have close family and friends, uh, which I think helps in bringing the children up. Um, and lucky to have good friends like Kirti, Anju, Subhas, Vesila, Manu, uh, etc., etc. Um, we had many picnics and outgoing, you know, that, that we that we did. Um, and as I said, parenthood um, never ends. It only grows with blessing of grandchildren. <laughs> So again, at this point in time, you have, I mean, many grandchildren when you think about the whole family. I mean, obviously you've got five kind of very directly and then sort of, you know, the count is probably somewhere near 12 or 13 um, for the C2s. So again, any, any advice for the parents of the next generation? Anything to kind of think about um, in that context? Well... I think the advice would just be to work hard to achieve your goals. Set your long-term, short-term goals, I would say, uh, and work towards them. So, but, you know, if you don't achieve them, don't worry too much about it. Just rejig your thing and start again. So, uh, worrying doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, Also, enjoy your life while you're doing it. So, don't just be bogged down in work all the time. Um, how many friends do not lose touch with your friends? It's very, very important. Uh, respect all the family, and that is especially the elders, and uh, help others in need. Um, it's, it's very, very important, especially within the family. Mm-hmm. It's very important to help each other. Uh, I think those are the, the main things, basically. Yeah, I like it. Um, okay, we're going to. Dad, we're going to jump to the, the fun facts, so the quick fire oh, questions. Okay. okay. Um, so kind of nice, short, snappy answers. Um, what is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you? So I think when I came to UK, uh, Joshna cooking for all of us uh, and working as well and uh, doing wonderful food, uh, which you couldn't afford going out to restaurants and all that. but. She, after us so that was very kind of her thank you just now (laughs) that's good what what is the most romantic thing that you have ever done so i flew to belgium and ordered a bmw car for mum because she always fancied a black bmw so i ordered she didn't know anything so i flew in the morning to belgium collected the car drove it back to the ferry and then in the evening, presented to her for the next day, uh, all covered up in, in nice ribbons. And uh, yeah, so that was, uh, uh, I think, uh, a good, better than a box of chocolates. <laughs> yeah. I love, the thing I love about that story, just to add to it, the way 
because it was a surprise for mum, but we were kind of in on it. The three kids were in on it. And the way, yes. so you'd parked around the corner and we needed to get mum out of the house somehow. She was in the middle of like cooking dinner, I think. And we knew that like, you know, it was going to be tough to get her out with that arousing suspicion. So Neha comes running in and is sort of saying like, mum, there's a, there's a fox that's been hit in the road or there's a cat that's been hit in the road and there's something that... And mum just comes sprinting out in her apron with her like vellum, like covered in like, like rotty flour. And like me and Kumar standing in the doorway because we're keen to see the new car. And she just completely like throws us on the floor, like bundles us out the way. And she's like standing in the road, like, where is this? Where is the cat? Where's the cat that's been run over? And then you sort of like come cruising around the corner with a big red bow on this black BMW. And, um, and she just doesn't know what to say. And she just, I think, just swears under her breath and just storms back inside because she has no idea how to really react in that moment. That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, so that was a good surprise, yeah. That was great. Do, uh, next question. Do you have any regrets or anything that you would change from the past? So, uh, if time had permitted, I would have started golf bit early. Okay. Golf earlier. Well, I think we're too busy to start golf, but I would have loved to have started 10 years before. <laughs> um, you might have already answered this. Next question. What do you think is the secret to happiness and fulfillment? Yeah, so I think basically to, to be happy, I think you've got to stay calm, help others. When you help others... You you feel happy yourself, I think. Uh, do not wish bad on others. I think, again, it's internal. You feel better. Mm. Uh, uh, plan ahead. So that get, because if you plan ahead, then you, you feel happy because you're not uh, sort of, your mind is clear then. Um, think before you speak. That's very, very important. So we can sometimes, because words we can really hurt a lot of people. Family unity is very important for happiness. Enjoy life and lots and lots of holidays, basically. <laughs> Amen. Um, Amen. What would be your advice to your 30-year-old self? Who? To your 30-year-old self. Oh, 30-year-old, oh dear. Um, I think, yeah, it's the same, same sort of thing. Set up, set up your goals and, you know... Uh, People revising them, short term, long term. I thought, enjoy you life. Set, I thought you were going to say set up your golf. I mean, you really regret not setting, starting golf a lot earlier. Um, yeah, start golf again. <laughs> okay, quick, quick question. So, what's your dad? What's your favorite book? So, I love reading Sunday Times. <laughs> good, good answer. Uh, your favorite movie. So, in English, I would say it's, uh, I love science fiction, so it's Otar. And in Hindi, it has to be Sangam, only love story. And in a series, I would say it would be, which we just finished watching, Buddha. One of the best series I would say. Must watch that. Um, Tell me something that very few people in the JGF are likely to know about you. Um, <laughs> not know about me. I think that, 
think most of them know about me. I think maybe they don't know about my photography uh, that I used to do a uh, long time ago. So I used to develop photos at home. I used to have the full kit at home. So I used to take black and white photos. I joined a um, photography course in college. And um, I used to have a, a black room where I used to have all the chemicals and used to make black and white uh, photos, print out, coming out. Uh, so I think maybe most JGF may not know this. Some of them probably will know, but not, not many will know that uh, I did this. I got a passion for photography <laughs> you, from some time ago. Would you ever take it up again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to do it. So I think that's one of the things I may do. I've got tons of photos. I need to sort them out first. That's excellent. That's uh, great birthday present and Father's Day material. Thanks, Dad. Um, yeah. <laughs> what What would you like your legacy to be? Oh dear. Uh, just the family and. Um, all the things uh, that you've done. So basically nothing, Amazing. nothing specific. Yeah. What, so back to the, just on the family, what do you think makes the JGF special? So I think it's the closeness of family. So three brothers and four sisters. So we were lucky to be so close together. And, uh, you know, with parents' guidance as well. And it's great to see the children also getting along together and then the grandchildren now also loving each other and getting together. So it's not really nice to have family unity and I think that has to be preserved. And I think, you know, we greatly miss Baba Puji, Vibha, Vijay who are not here now. Hmm. So I think, you know, that makes JGF great because of the unity that we have. A lot of people comment on that saying, you know, you brothers and sisters get together quite often and even at parties, you the whole gang is together. Even in golf outing, we are together. Um, you know, overseas trips, we are together. So I think, you know, they say, you know, they find it strange because not many families have got the unity like what we have. I think it's big credit to Bayan Bapuji for showing us that. Yeah, perfect segue to the next question. What was the most valuable lesson that you think Bhaiyan Bapaji taught you and why? Um, again, to uh, be kind to other people, charitable. Uh, they really said education is very, very important to progress because I think probably they knew that there would be discrimination here or wherever. And so if you're well-educated, then that helps you. It's a stepping stone. So their powerful message was always education. Mapuji made sure all of us had uh, the degrees, uh, or even all the, the girls have been qualified at universities. So Mapuji was very focused on that. And also family unity. Their message was keep the family together. Um, really, so those are simple messages, but they're very, very important. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to give you some names of your siblings, and you have to describe them in three words. Oh. <laughs> okay, so just the first three words that come to mind, don't try and overthink it. Um, Gundanfei. 
so loud, uh, friendly, good laugh. <laughs> I'll give it. Just my face. Uh, very helpful, very kind, and funny as well. Lot of faith. Very precise. Uh, very smart mm. and thoughtful. The buffet. Uh, challenging, full of life, full of joy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Barthada. Hardworking. Loves challenges, loves to work. <laughs> and Bako Kaka, last but not least. Uh, excellent company, uh, good golfer, <laughs> and loves to laugh. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, well, Dad, all that's left for me to say is thank you so much for being a guest on the JGF podcast. It's been... Yeah. Amazing. We haven't even touched probably on a lot of things like the concerts that you went to, um, the stories around your travels, yeah. um, the ski trips that you took with um, yeah. Gitigaka and Subashanko, um, yeah. and all the, the nudist beaches on your caravan trips around Europe. So there's still so much more to tell. So maybe we'll have to have part two at some point in the not too distant <laughs> future. Okay. No, thanks. Thanks for taking the interview. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Dad. Okay. All the best. Take care. Love you, JGF. <laughs> <laughs>